This is Entrepreneurs Get Visible, the podcast for people who want more impact, influence, and income. I'm Anna Parker-Naples, and I'll be sharing with you proven methods from leading entrepreneurs that help you get visible as an authority in your field. Because anything's possible when you get visible. Today on Entrepreneurs Get Visible, I am joined by Shah Wasmond. Shah is three times best-selling author of Do Less, Get More, Stop Talking, Start Doing, and now her new bestseller, How to Fix Your Shit. She received an MBE for her services to business and entrepreneurship back in 2015 and was recently named one of the top 20 most influential entrepreneurs in the UK by the Sunday Times. She currently runs one of the biggest Facebook groups in the UK for business, the Freedom Collective, and has built a multi-million pound business from her back garden. Shah's business background is quite diverse. She started off her working life as a boxing promoter, the only female boxing promoter for Chris Eubank, and went on to work alongside James Dyson as the Dyson Empire was being built right at the very start. And we're talking today about what it means when you are a leader and you have to show up for your tribe, no matter what's going on in your personal life. Let's get started. Hey, Shah. So thank you so much for coming on to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. Nice to have you here. Good to be here. So today we are talking about the responsibilities you have when you have got a following, you are a leader in your field, you are an authority in your field, perhaps you have a membership or a tribe within a Facebook group. And then what happens when your personal life erupts in the way that only personal lives can and you maybe can't show up in the way that you'd expected? What happens for you then? It doesn't really happen for me. And I'll explain why it doesn't happen. It's not that my personal life doesn't happen. It's not that I don't get thrown curveballs. It's just that I made a decision to be radically authentic. And I don't mean that as a hashtag or a marketing terminology. Mm. But when I started this business, I was all in for showing up 100% of the time as myself. And so for me, what that meant was if I was going through something, then it was my responsibility to at least share some of it. You might not necessarily want to share everything that's going on, but rather than trying to create some Photoshop version of my life, I would actually share my real life. So, you know, I'm very lucky that I've attracted a tribe of people who are similar. So Mm. if I have got something going on, I show up and I'm honest. And if I can't do something because of what else is going on, I'm honest about it. And because of that honesty, the people in my world will without question and without hesitation, give me the leeway to reschedule, redo, recalibrate, whatever it is I need. So, And it's that trust, isn't it? So because you're open, people feel like, okay, this is a woman that has a normal life. It's not some robot version of Shah that we're seeing. And I think you're right. That means that people are much more flexible and understanding. Because you allow them to be too, because it's a two-way process, right? So if you show up with all your imperfections, you allow other people to show up with their imperfections too. And I feel that's actually how you create a tribe rather than an audience. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's that thing about leadership. It's that you actually want to have the right people with you. And the only reason that you can show that it's easy to create the kind of business that you want is by showing them that it's not always easy. It's not always just straightforward. And particularly in this entrepreneur, space we are human beings and many of us are doing what we love and we're passionate about it and in some respect aren't really switching off so our lives do compound and affect our business too 
Well, without any question, and I think it's foolhardy to think that you can run a business without your personal life or what's happening outside of the four walls of your business affecting you because you are human Mm -hmm. and it is not possible to just compartmentalize yourself. And I've never been a believer in a work-life balance because I just think that when you think about balance, it means that one thing's always being weighed up against the other. And I'm much more of a work-life blend. And in the moment, I'll make a decision of what is my greatest priority today. And I will go with that. And I feel that's a, a much saner way of trying to address how we live and how we work. So a lot of people have a real fear about being vulnerable and sharing some of their personal life. What would you say to someone who was in that position? It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to share all the nitty gritty about your personal life or nothing. There is an in-between. There is a balance. So you share what you personally feel comfortable with. Like there's loads of stuff that I don't share, but there's also a lot that I do because mm. actually it's the sharing of who you really are and the documentation of your real life that allows people to build a rapport with you that they wouldn't be able to build just through you showing up on a live and talking to people, talking Mm. at people. People want to know the real you. Now that doesn't mean they need to know everything. So I think it's crucial to understand that actually you are in control of what you share. You can change that according to each situation. So what are the lines for you? What do you choose that you don't discuss? I guess I can't you discuss those right now. (laughs) No, no, I guess, you know, as my son's getting older, he's 13 now. I think, you know, I'm more conscious of what I share with him because he should really now have a bit of a say in what I share. Other than that, I don't think there's really that much that I don't share. I think I'm quite public and quite open and honest. I guess maybe I just don't go into the same depth on every subject, right? So I'll share every subject, Mm. but I won't go into the same depth Mm. on every subject. It was really interesting. I was out in Toronto in the summer for an event called Tribe. Stu's got this amazing program called Tribe where he teaches you- Stu McLaren. Yes, Stu McLaren teaches you all about online memberships. Now, Stu's a good family friend. My son and his kids, they, they get on so well. And so we were all out there hanging out together and we went out for lunch and came back in and Amy Porterfield was speaking. And she said something that was really interesting. And she said that you don't want to share your scabs, you want to share your scars. And I talked to Stu about this afterwards. And I think, I don't know whether us Brits are a little different to the Americans, but so what she was essentially saying was that you don't want to share your problems when you're in them. You want to share your problems after you've resolved them. Now, I love Amy. I'm a massive fan for many reasons, Hmm. but I personally disagree with that one. And now that's where I thought, "Mm, I wonder if this is a Brit versus a US Mm -hmm. kind of thing, or maybe it's just how willing you are to share. Because I feel that if we only share when we've got to the other side, we don't share the hardest part. And the hardest part is once you're in it. And if you can share when you're in it with other people, you empower them to feel like they're not alone when they're in it. It's interesting you say that earlier this year, I had so much overwhelm. I had, within the space of a couple of days, we had numerous family members either have cancer, heart attacks, need brain surgery. I mean, horrendous things that were just happening. And actually, although I didn't share exactly what had happened, I was really honest with my group and my followers and people who are working with me. This is what's going on for me right now. I'm in overwhelm and I need to step back. 
But actually what I did was took people on that journey with me. You don't have to give the specifics. I never gave away anything that would be personal to my my. You can explain family. that you've got close family in hospital. You don't have yeah. to explain yeah, yeah. which of your family members and what, or what they're in hospital for. No. But what amazes me to a degree is why we're even having this conversation. And what I mean by that is surely that is the only way that we should be operating. I mean, surely that should be the only way. In terms of leadership, but a lot of people who are coming into potentially the coaching space or the entrepreneurial space don't necessarily have an understanding that it's showing ourselves that's really important. And that fascinates me. And there's a real decision to stay hidden because people are scared of what if I'm judged for sharing this or what if it's too much or what if someone's angry that I've done this. Or what and what if, if they too- are? Is the world going to end? It's a mindset thing. It's a mindset piece. And it's letting people into who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea of scabs or scars. Yeah, and I think that the whole scar thing is, well, how deep a scar does it have to be and how healed is it before you're willing to share? Well, that's it. So I get the thing, you know, a scab is whilst it's still there and you're not quite healed and a scar is when it's been and gone and done, you've dealt with it. And I can see the merits 100% in sharing your scars, but I actually think there's merit in sharing your scabs too. Like if you can share once you're in it, I just feel that's almost more empowering to other people. Yeah. And I think it's seeing what happens in your communities. I mean, I've seen, Shah, I think you had some personal issues with extended family members earlier this year. Maybe they're still ongoing. I don't know. But the support you were then getting in the Freedom Collective because you were open and honest about that. I cancelled things like, you know, and I've been public about this. You know, I don't mind sharing it. I'm super close to my grandma and she's 94. And, you know, it's been a tough time for her because she was one of four and now she's the last one left. Mm -hmm. Now, put that into context, the average age of her siblings before they passed was 90 so she's got some good genes and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that those genes have been passed down but I'm as close to my nan as I am to my mum so for me if my nan wasn't right everything else was cancelled and what that meant was that a trip to Toronto was cancelled like I actually cancelled the first part of my I was supposed to be away for the whole summer doing various events and talks and I cancelled like I cancelled two and a half weeks because she had gone into hospital. She came out and she's completely fine now, like completely fine. Can you imagine this? So since then, since that all happened in about June, two weeks ago, my nan got on a plane, on a plane at 94 and went to Lanzarote with my mom for a week. And they just got back a couple of days ago. So I just wanted to make sure that before I left the country, not only was my nan out of hospital, but that she'd had a full week of the doctors saying, she's fine, she's fine, she's fine for a full week in a row. Otherwise, I wasn't going anywhere. And to me, that's a deal breaker. If my nan's not well, I'm not doing anything else. And I think showing up and telling parts of that story, and obviously we didn't get the details, is a real thing about leadership. Because if people don't see that it's okay to look after your own backyard first... 100% then people feel like oh, I've got to do this thing because I said I would. Well, actually, sometimes we have to have our own boundaries. Yeah. Yes, that might mean letting someone down in a professional capacity, but how much stronger are we as a person that we respect ourselves, our family and our own needs? A hundred percent. And obviously, you know, there's got to be boundaries and parameters for it. So, you know, I, I don't make it a habit as, you know, I'm sure no one makes it a habit of letting no. people down. But ultimately, you know, I had to ask myself, what if I don't get another opportunity to be here for my nan? Like, that's not a viable option for me. So there is nothing that could have taken place that would have been more important for me. Yeah, really interesting. So you've recently got your latest book out. This is, I believe, your fourth book, How to Fix Your Shit. My third book. So that's How to Fix Your Shit. Tell us a little bit about the journey towards getting that book out. What compelled you to write it? 
Well, there's a theme. So this is the third book and I'm super grateful. Three number one bestsellers in a row. So this has been number one in the business category for a while, but it's now currently the number three in all of nonfiction for WH Smith, which is a big deal really, because that's me up against all the biographies, the autobiographies, the SAS guys, all of those. So yeah, there's definitely been a theme around it, which is, so the first book was Stop Talking, Start Doing, A Kick in the Pants in Six Parts. The second book was Do Less, Get More. And then the third in the trilogy, How to Fix Your Shit, A Straightforward Guide to a Better Life. Ultimately, I write books that actually don't have a lot to do with my business. They're definitely not lead generation. Mm. I don't write them to build my audience. I write them because I have a burning desire to get a message across to as many people as I possibly can. And for me, this was a recognition that we all have some shit to fix in our lives. You might have your career sorted, but your personal life's crap. Or your personal life is amazing, but your finances need a bit of an overhaul. And I just wanted to write a book that addressed the kind of the the everyday concerns that we all have. And that's just a phrase that we all use. We're always saying to ourselves and our friends, oh my God, I've just got to fix that shit. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, right. How do we do it? And I wanted to write a really practical book. So that's another thing that I pride myself on. I'm not going to win any Booker Prizes or literary prizes, but I write books that to me are a bit more important than winning a prize. And that is that they are actually actionable, as in you can read it and actually learn something from it and go and apply it to your life and do something straight away. And it's not about me having the power. I can't fix your shit, but I tell you what, I can give you some really good ideas and some simple ways that you can do it for yourself. Yeah, that's one thing you're great for, Shah, is that that kick up the backside. The first time I came across you was at an event last September. And I didn't know anything about you. I wasn't in your world, wasn't in your sphere. And you were on that stage and you were saying, you know, you know when your business isn't working, you know when you're not happy. Are you really going to be here in 12 months time? And I just remember kind of going, oh, that there was something about that that really spoke to me that was a little bit close to the bone. But my God, it really did kick me into action. And I like that. I like that that comes across in your books as well. Yeah. And I think that's important for me. And it's all about, was this at JoJo's event? Yeah. I haven't been into yeah. a JoJo Graham's, JoJo Graham's event. event. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I'm not going to name any names, but there were women in the audience there who felt like they couldn't invest in themselves and their businesses. And yeah, I lovingly called them out from stage and reminded them that they were currently wearing a 500 pound pair of shoes and a 1200 pound handbag. And what was more important? Is it more important to invest in your shoes and your bags or in yourself and your business? Mm. We've kind of got to figure out what's the most important thing. Yeah. Because Mm. to me, investing in yourself and your business is going to give you a greater ROI than your handbag or your shoes. In fact, it should enable you to buy more handbags. Buy more. Yes. A bit more expensive ones too. Well, I also came along to your book event earlier this year. I think I can't remember if it was in February. And one of the things you talked about was how much growth your books enabled you to have. And I'm right at that stage when my first book is due any minute to go out into the world. So tell us about the journey of getting that first book out there and what it's meant for you. For me, my books are a massive validation. I think that they are still the best way to kind of cement your expert status in whatever industry you're in. And I say that ironically, because actually I don't write books that Mm. make me an expert in my business per se, but I write books that I feel kind of, they fit into that smart thinking category. It's a cross between business and personal development. And we've sold over 250,000 books now. I think, um, I think Rob Moore pips me to the post, but then again, that man is a machine. I think I've written three books and he's written 14. I mean, it's madness. I don't know how he does it. He is literally a machine. So for me, I'll tell the story super quickly because I think it's an important one. 
I'd always wanted to write a book. I randomly opened up a email from Tim Ferriss and he was talking about an event that he was going to be running called OTK, Open the Kimono, where he was going to teach people how to create a number one best-selling book. Now, at the point in time, I didn't have a book, wasn't sure. I knew I wanted to write one, but didn't know what I wanted to write. And the course was $10,000 for three days in Napa Valley in California. But you had to pay for your own flights, your own food and your own accommodation. So really, it's probably more like 15000 by the time you add it up. And that was flying economy. So I wasn't doing no bougie class. And I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have 15000 to just spend on a whim. But what I knew for sure was that if I did that, I would write the book. Because mm-hmm. if I held my feet to the fire that much, I was going to get it done. So that's what I did. And I'm super proud to say that coming out of that, out of everyone... And I mean, everyone who was there, out all the attendees, there was only three of us from the UK. Everybody else was, most of them from the US, but only three from the UK. And I think there's about 120 of us there. Other than the authors who were already there and probably speaking from stage, who already had New York Times bestsellers, I've sold more books than anyone else who went to that event. And I say that, yeah, a tiny bit to congratulate myself because yeah, now, like, what, is wrong? What, what is wrong with us Brits when we feel it's, we shouldn't be congratulating ourselves? Yeah. Not only should we be congratulating ourselves, but I think we should make it a habit of congratulating others. Yes. But really what I say it for is because when you put your mind to something and you're consistent with it and you become like a dog with a bone, that's when you get results. And I just went all in on writing books. I just, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Mm, amazing. So what's that meant for the rest of your career as it it stands now? Oh, it's opened so many doors. I'm sure half of which I don't even realize were opened by my book. But without a doubt, it's raised my profile. It's given me masses of credibility. And going forward, I have a feeling that books are going to play an even bigger role for me because when I think about my business and what do I want to teach next year, I actually think the books are going to become more and more of a thing for me. So it's allowing yourself to evolve, isn't it? As you get more yeah. into your business, as you learn more about yourself. We have to learn to grow into ourselves. Mm. And that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. So one of the things I did want to mention today is that you are not just Shah Wasmond. You are Shah Wasmond MVE. (laughs) I love, like, what has that meant for your visibility and your authority? How did it come about and what's it meant for you now? So I don't know how many of you know the process, but to be awarded an MVE or OB or CB or any of the awards that the Queen or her family give out, you have to be nominated. And it's all hush-hush behind the scenes. You don't know anything about it. You don't even know that you're being nominated until you find out that you've actually been awarded a nomination. So you don't actually know anything about it. So I kind of have an idea who I think put me forward, but I don't know for sure. And for some bizarre reason, they won't confirm it, which makes me feel like it was definitely, definitely them. them. <laughs> right? But it has to be more than one person. Then it goes to a panel and then a whole group of people have to approve you. So mine was awarded for my services to business and entrepreneurship. So I'm really proud of that. And I think what that's done for me and my business is I'm one of those people, I have to say, I get super frustrated by the amount of business coaches out there who have never actually really run a business. And yet the only way they've actually really made money is by selling other business coaches ways to make money. They've never had a successful business themselves. And if they have, it's been really superficial and only put up in order to say that they'd sold an online course. But they haven't actually had real business experience. But what they do is they go out there and they try to project themselves as some serious business person with a ton of experience, yet really all their money has been made 
from selling that message to other business coaches. So for me, it's like... Sometimes coaching can get a bad press. That kind of... Someone said to me, it's a bit like a pyramid scheme. And I think that's because... Well, it can feel like it sometimes. It can feel like it. Yeah, it can feel like it sometimes. And I always say to people, if you're looking for a coach or a mentor, make sure that they've actually done the thing that you want to learn before you sign up to them. Because everybody's different. Everybody's got a different skill set. There are different coaches for different reasons. Like, for example... If you want to learn about property, I've actually done 25 properties in my life, but I would never teach someone about property because I didn't do property in a way that I could teach other people. I'd say, go and work with Rob Moore. He's amazing, right? So find the person who's actually got the real life experience doing what you want to do. And I think that's really important because that is where coaching gets a bad name. So I guess in answer to the question, an MBE kind of uh, is a great filter, you don't get given an MBE yes. just by saying you're worth one. Yeah. It's not like there's many awards that you can go up for and actually self-nominated and you don't know what that process is. But yeah, there's a real stamp, isn't there? About Yeah, about I think so. I think, I, and I think that's quite rightly so. You know, yeah. not only can you not put yourself forward for one, but it requires an entire panel to approve you. Hmm. So, right, as we come to a close with the interview, can you give us three top ways that you would recommend to somebody just starting out or who needs to reinvigorate their business, ways that you would recommend that they get more visible? Yeah. Okay. Number one, hire a cleaner. It's got nothing to do with visibility, but it's got everything to do with your business. It's my number one business tip and I've been given it since I was 21. Stop doing the shitty jobs that you don't have to do unless you happen to love cleaning, in which case, I mean, seriously, there are some people, they find it cathartic. I they don't find know cleaning <laughs> a way to meditate. And I can understand the theory, but that's not me. So really value your time and how you use it. And one of the ways to value your time and how you use it is to hire a cleaner to do the jobs that you don't have to do. Mm. Number two, you've got to show up. So whether you're going to show up by creating a podcast or doing Facebook lives or writing blog posts, which by the way, aren't dead, whatever your platform of choice is, go all in and show up consistently. You can't just show up once and expect everyone to come running towards you. You can't do it twice or even 103 times. You've literally got to go all in for two to three years. And this is where this industry goes wrong. We purport this overnight success. It is not possible. There is no such thing as effortless income. That is a bullshit lie. But also, whatever happened to it being wrong to make an effort? If you love what you do, you should want to make an effort in what you're doing. And just don't expect that the results are going to come in overnight because they won't. But if you stick with it when everybody else is falling back, if yeah. you stick with it when everyone else is giving up, if you stick with it because you remember this podcast and you remember hearing me saying, just stick with it because most people won't, you will win the race. Number three, you need to put yourself out there. So this is different to number two. This is you going out and reaching out to other people in their Facebook groups, on their podcasts, like putting yourself in front of other people's audiences too, not just creating your own, but taking the value that you give to your audience and finding other people's audiences where it would be valuable. Mm. And remember that last bit, where it would be valuable. Don't just randomly scattergun approach 100 people to join their podcast or be featured with a Facebook Live with them if you haven't even done any research on it. It's got to be strategic. It has to be strategic, yeah. but it has to be meaningful for the other person too. That's mm. really important. Do those three things, you'll quadruple your visibility. Great. Thank you so much for coming on today, Shah. Great to Pleasure, have you. Pleasure, my love. 
Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. To get your free checklist on how to raise your profile and to find out about our community, go to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash get visible.